0: of real people, real God. Guest co-host Jill Eileen Smith joins me Sue, continuing their through the Bible character series with an in-depth look at Deborah, a prophetess and the only female judge of Israel. Hi, this is MeSue. Welcome back everybody. Lindsay and I thought it would be fun to have a guest talk about the book of Judges today and how it fits into the overall story of scripture. So we've invited Jill Eileen Smith to be my guest co-host today. She's a good friend and the author of The Prophetess, a biblical novel that explores the life and times of Israel's only female judge, Deborah. So hello, Jill. Hi, Misu. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Uh, It's so fun to get to chat with you here. For those who may not know Jill, let me tell y'all a little bit about the first time Jill and I ever talked on the phone. Okay, Jill, are you ready for this? I'm going to reveal our big secret. <laughs>
1: I um, Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. a little nervous here, but uh-huh. yeah,
0: go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so Jill read my first book, Love Amid the Ashes, for endorsement, and with much fear and trepidation, I found out later, she called to gently tell me, that one of my research details was flawed. I had used silk cloth in Job's story, but silk had not come to that part of the world until Solomon's reign. So she was so kind and so gentle about it. But I was so impressed that she cared so deeply about the truth and the detail of authentic truth in our fiction. And I... I. Ever since then, I have trusted the research in all of Jill's books and I'm, I just, I love your books, Jill. And so that's, yeah, that's why I am thrilled to get to chat with you about the research of the time of Israel's judges. Now you've also written about some other amazing women besides Deborah in this Daughters of the Promised Land series. So tell us some of the other women that you focused on, on those novels.
1: Well, um, the series is a set of four books, mm-hmm. um, four different women that lived during the time of the Promised Land. Um, the first one, Rahab or the Crimson Cord, which is Rahab's story, was actually during Joshua's time. Mm-hmm. And the prophetess that we're talking about today was Deborah, the only female judge. Right. And then Ruth's story, which releases this February, Redeeming Grace. Um, We all know if we're familiar with the Old Testament, most of us are familiar with the story of Ruth. Yes, Um, love that story. Yeah, I I hope I bring a little twist to that or at least a little different way of looking at it. Yeah, I can't wait. Hannah is the one I'm working on right now, which will come out. That's yet to be titled. I don't know what they're going to do with that, but it'll be 2019.
0: Yeah. Ah, thanks. Yeah. Really looking forward to those. OK, well, now, before we get into Deborah's story specifically, let's talk a little bit about the time of Israel's judges in the context of real people, real God, since that's kind of the podcast we're doing and all. Lindsay and I have been talking about the overarching story of Scripture, that single story that all that the whole Bible tells started with God walking with Adam and Eve in the garden. It was a perfect, transparent, loving relationship in that garden. And then sin just shattered that fellowship for all of humanity. And so the rest of the Bible tells the story about our real God in this relentless pursuit to restore that perfect relationship by revealing himself and relating to real people like all of us. So Mm -hmm. Jill, from your research, tell us how... Our real God worked in the time of Israel's judges to reveal himself, to relate to these real people. And then how do the judges, this this time period, how does that help restore that broken relationship between God and humanity? You know, in 10 words or less.
1: Sure. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't ask me anything easy. Yeah, really, right? Uh, yeah, right. Okay. Okay. Uh, The truth, though, is that I think Judges shows how patient God is with his people. I mean, when you think of all they did to uh, frustrate him, I mean, all he did to rescue them from Egypt and Mm -hmm. brought them to the promised land of Canaan, and he, the whole time, kept wooing them to love him, and they just kept going off and doing what they wanted to do. Um, But... Like most real people do when their human leaders were gone. Moses and Joshua had died. Israel floundered. So without a leader, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And right was far from what God called good. His real people ended up following the cultures around them and worshiping their own gods,
0: leaving their first love, the God who called them his own. Yeah, and I, I love the way you describe God's wooing of Israel. I love that term. And, you know, Judges really is, oh my goodness, it's a violent book. And, you know, when we get immersed in these disturbing stories, it's sometimes hard to remember the why. You know, why is yeah. that allowing all this violence to occur? And the reminder of God's wooing, it takes us back to that garden relationship, this real God who adores his real people and it's this determination to restore that intimacy with us mm-hmm. but you know honestly sometimes that deter- that determination it's hard to watch it's hard to to read about sometimes it
1: is and i think part of that hard lesson in judges is that god allowed suffering he'd allowed mm-hmm. israel to suffer at the very hands of the people that they were trying to copy or emulate, they wanted mm-hmm. to be like the cultures around them and embrace their ways. And yeah. God was saying, "No, I, I'm to be your God." And so He allowed the, those very people to harshly oppress Israel. Yeah. I mean, they were—they would steal their crops, or they would, you know, kill their people. Or they, in Deborah's stories, Cicero was brutal. Yeah, and um, he, you know, God allowed that um, until they would cry out for His deliverance, and mm-hmm. I think that's when God would raise a judge to deliver people from their oppressors. Sometimes okay. the judges yeah. led the people back to the Lord, like I think Deborah did, but some mm-hmm. of them were just military deliverers. And once those men died, the people that went right back to doing the very same thing they did before,
0: yeah, and walked yeah. away
1: from God. And isn't that like us so? Mm -hmm. much today. I mean, we can't rely on human leaders. We have to keep our focus on the Lord.
0: Yeah. So now you believe that Deborah was different than many of the judges, and we see that difference in the title of your book, The Prophetess. So Mm -hmm. what does it mean to be a prophetess? How do we know Deborah was one, first of all? And in fact, how did Deborah know she was one?
1: Well, a prophetess is someone who hears from God and then gives God's word to his people. We know she was a prophetess because she prophesied things that came true. She told Barak, Israel's commander, for instance, that a woman would kill Sisera, something that perhaps Barak expected to do. But her prediction came true Mm -hmm. uh, because if you remember the story of Jael in Judges 4, Jael was a woman, and Jael had that privilege of uh, being the one to kill the enemy, as yeah. Deborah had predicted.
0: She was a mean motor scooter. She was like, <laughs> yeah, she was a brave lady, brave lady. Yeah. Now, how did, so how did Deborah hear, do you know, how did Deborah hear God speak? Do we hear, do we have any of that in scripture? We do,
1: but not in judges. In fact, okay. I, I was asked that very question when I was struggling to write the book by someone who said, you need to show how she knew she became a judge. And okay. I struggled with that, but it's because of the, the judge's section doesn't tell us that it just says she was a judge Israel under a palm tree. Well, that doesn't tell us how she knew she was a judge. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. if you look in the whole of Scripture, which you always have to do, um, right. and you go back to Numbers 12, verse 6, it says that God would speak to his prophets in visions and dreams. And so okay. I believe she would have had to have had a vision or a dream or both to know that she was a prophet. And, okay. and the Bible also gives us, and another part of scripture, I didn't write that down, that a true prophet of God, everything they say when they prophesy in his name, it'll, it has to come true. If it doesn't come true, then they're a false prophet. And that's how Israel would know the difference. So okay. we know she was a prophet because her prophecies came true, and she probably knew because of visions and dreams. Okay, so does that mean that all judges then were
0: also prophets?
1: I don't believe so, because at least as far as what I read in Judges, um, it doesn't really mention Gideon or Samson or Jephthah or Ehud or Shamgar or any of those people uh, giving the word of God. Some of them may have heard the word of God or had the Spirit of God come on them, but they did not. It does not say, as far as I know, that they gave the word out and prophesied and it came true to the people. Okay. Until we get to Samuel, which is, in Han- is of course, part of Hannah's story um, because she's his mother. But right. Samuel was the last of the prophets before the kings. Okay. And he and was the last also judge. judge. And the yeah, last judge, yes. Okay,
0: okay. Yeah, very cool. Okay, so it's apparent that Deborah herself had a relationship with Yahweh. When we read her story in Scripture and, of course, when I got to read your book— Um, But does scripture give us any clues about the spiritual condition of Israel itself, the the nation, during Deborah's leadership? Do we know how the nation was doing with God?
1: Well, basically by the book of Judges, you get the impression that they weren't doing very well because they had no king and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Um, Mm -hmm. And without one ruler... That was also a spiritual leader. You know, I mean, you can have a leader that's just a military leader. That's what Barak was in Deborah's life. He was the military uh, person who wanted to kill the enemy, but he wasn't leading the people. At least the Bible doesn't say that he was giving spiritual instruction. Right. Um, were people following the law of Moses? Well, Ruth lived during the time of the judges, and I would think Boaz was following the law. So there were people. To be. Mm -hmm. Over the the course of that time, that would have been obedient to Scripture. But I don't think that um, the majority of Israel was following the Lord like he wanted them to.
0: Yeah, not necessarily as a nation did they follow the Lord as they had with with Moses and Joshua.
1: And the priests were corrupt. You know, when Mm -hmm. you get to Hannah's story, the priests were corrupt. And that was still the time of the judges. So. You really had a difficult um, yeah, time there. Where we really wasn't... see,
0: yeah, we really see Israel just kind of falling apart during this time. It's really sad, really yeah, sad. It is. So what did a judge in Israel actually do? Was Deborah like a traveling evangelist? Did she teach, you know, go around and teach the whole nation about Yahweh or what? What were some of her duties? What did she do? Well, I think uh, I mean the Bible says she judged
1: under a palm tree, and we don't okay. know exactly where that. I mean, it, it tells us between a couple cities. I think um, she was in Ephraim, and okay. so somewhere there was a palm tree. And I mean, we don't really know it. You don't. The topography and geography of Israel changes a lot quicker, I think, than we realize. When I was in Israel in two thousand and. 8 our pastor was with us and he'd been there you know a number of times and he mentioned even how the wilderness of judah had changed just oh, wow. ge- the 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 geog- the topography i guess would be the better word in just twenty years, so I can't oh, wow. imagine what Ephraim looked like in Deborah's day. But hmm. somewhere there was a palm tree, and maybe it was in the <laughs> middle of her city, yeah. and maybe you know, maybe it wasn't. But I think she would have done it in a protected place because of the danger uh-huh. of the times. So yeah. that's what that's where my imagination took it. But mm-hmm. she, um, I don't think the whole country came to her because of the uh, danger. Mm-hmm. And and also, if you read other parts of scripture, uh, all the different tribes would have appointed their own sort of judges. You know, in the sense mm-hmm. like to judge murders or the patriarch mm-hmm. of an area, they were tribal. Yeah. So you would have had tribal leaders, and and why she stood out as a judge of the whole land that could call all the the tribes to war. Um, you know, I'm not sure that everyone would have been. Aware of her that, you know, much because Mm -hmm. of the distance. But on the other hand, she talks about calling, you know, uh, different tribes to battle and a lot of them didn't come. So a lot of them didn't respect her, I guess, or Mm -hmm. listen to her. But those that did won the day.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because, you know, we've both been to Israel and we've seen that Israel is really pretty small. It's like yeah. the size of the state of Indiana. Yeah. And since you live in Michigan and I used to live in Indiana, we are pretty familiar with that territory. And so yeah. it's really a very small area geographically. But the topography that you're talking about is so diverse. Uh, You know, there's tropical in the Galilee area and then there's desert down, um, you know, in the the Dead Sea area. And um, it's such a diverse land that God called his people to. It's just fascinating. So so tell me, was Deborah married? Did she have children? Tell me a little bit about her personally. What did you find out?
1: Well, the only thing that the Bible says is that she uh, had a hu- well—that she was her husband was Lapidoff, and mm-hmm. there are some commentaries that don't even believe that she was actually married and that Lapidoth meant something else. But I don't buy that because I believe it says it means what it says. Yeah, and you know, some people don't really think of her as a mother, but she calls herself a mother in Israel. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it women in her day would have been wanted to be married and have children that was the norm if you didn't right. have children and you were barren you were you know desperate you were yeah. that was your whole purpose in life so right i really do
0: think she was a mother and a wife um yeah and scripture kind of made a big deal about those who were barren right um it it kind of made it, it made a point to let us know that they were barren. So if right. if it didn't let us know, it seems like maybe she did have children. I'm thinking, wow, super mom, right? I, we don't <laughs> see too many. We don't see too many women in Scripture who like have a full time job, raise a family. You know, I mean, this yeah. is really. She was really different than the, most of the women we see. So it, it's amazing to me that God would choose a woman to be a judge at a time. In biblical history, when it seems like in this culture, women were so often devalued. So what's up with that?
1: Um, she was the first Proverbs 31 woman. Um, I, yeah. <laughs> I,
0: it's kind of amazing.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know how devalued. I know that we seem that we, we get that impression because the yeah. Bible is so patriarchal mm-hmm. that we think women were devalued in Bible times. And maybe to a certain extent they felt, you know, we, we look at it and we think they were more like men's property because there were times like a a father or a husband could negate the vow of a woman. And so Mm -hmm. they seem to be less, lesser than men. Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't think God ever views women that way. And I think, Mm -mm. I think that, um, Men were placed in leadership roles in their tribes, and God did hold men more responsible. I think that's why Adam is held more responsible for sin than Eve, even though Eve gets all the blame. He was standing right there, and Mm -hmm. he got the uh, first—you know, God questioned him first. And and when you think of Jesus and Adam— Adam was the one who threw us into sin and Jesus got us out. You know, it wasn't Eve that was in the scripture says that. Yeah. Right. So, Mm -hmm. um, I think that the law protected women in many ways and, Mm -hmm. um, and the men weren't allowed to mistreat women, um, Mm -hmm. even in divorce or anything like that. Um, Mm -hmm. talked how God hated those things. Mm -hmm. Um, he used Esther to rescue his people besides Deborah. Women were used um, JL in Deborah's yeah. story, you was yeah. used. So, I mean, I think there weren't a lot of times that happened, but I think the women of the old Testament, especially played a bigger role in the lives of their men. than we realize, hmm. um, after writing all those stories that I did about women, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. and then if you look in the life of Jesus, he was surrounded by women, you yeah. know, he never once, um, called that a bad thing, you know they weren't mm-hmm. his disciples or apostles, but they played significant roles, and yeah. we we still do today, I think that we're not less than, and God never ever meant us to be that way, yeah, um, I think putting a woman in leadership was shame to men because mm-hmm. they weren't standing up to what they ought to do, and Kinda they didn't... dropped the ball, yeah mm-hmm. hmm
0: yeah good, good thoughts on that, so. When you and I talked about this period in Israel's history, you said something very fascinating to me. You described it as a time when Israel experienced terrorist attacks from their enemies, and it helped me really identify with these real people in judges, you know, um, because we in the U.S. have experienced some of those terror attacks on our own soil. So... What do you think we as a nation can learn from the book of Judges and what they experienced in their own version of terrorism?
1: Well, as I've partially mentioned already, I think in Judges, every time the people of Israel slipped away from the true worship of God to worship idols, God sent other nations to oppress them. Mm -hmm. And that um, perhaps that meant attacking their fields so they couldn't harvest. Perhaps it meant capturing their women and mistreating them. Um, whenever the nation, whatever the means, these nation Jews, they were devastating to Israel. Sometimes mm-hmm. the oppression went on for years and years and years. And I think sometimes in our stubbornness, we fall into a pit of misery and despair, whether it's outside forces or, or not. You know, it can take a long time for us to realize that we need to cry out to the Lord for rescue, even mm. from our own selves. Yeah. And sometimes it's not terror, but sometimes it is. You know, mm. every time the Israelites got to that point, God rescued them or sent a deliverer. But we're so slow to recognize our need of a savior. Mm. Um, yeah, And and I think that was the whole point of, of Judges and why he got allowed the quote terrorism um from and I use terrorists because Sisera of all of the people who was in Deborah's day was a true terrorist. He was completely the worst person you could read about. He was awful. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean they they'll say like, oh the Moabites are are attacking or so and so but this guy was named and so was the king and they were just described as as horrible people. And So, yeah, they really struggled under him. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Just enjoyed evil. Enjoyed evil. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. So I I think that's kind of what I'm getting from you, too, that is it's just this taking so long to realize that we need a savior, that we need to be aware of our need for that savior. Mm-hmm. Um, During the time that Deborah judged, the Canaanites were Israel's oppressors during her reign mm-hmm. as a judge. Right. But throughout the book of Judges, there are just there are lots of nations, as you've kind of mentioned, that the mm-hmm. Lord used to discipline Israel. There were the Midianites, the Amalekites, the Philistines, the Ammonites—you know, all those ites. But <laughs> along with them was the Moabites, and so. Right. In Redeeming Grace, that's your book on Ruth that releases this February, which, by the way, cannot wait to read, Um, (laughs) you talk specifically about a period of time when the Moabites oppressed Israel. So tell me how this familiar story, um, it it may be a little bit different than what we realize because it, it really does fit into this period of Judges.
1: Yeah, it does. It starts out telling us that there was, during the time of the ju- judges, there was famine in the land. And the trouble is, if you read the book of Judges, you can't find where the famine fit. It doesn't tell us where no. there was a famine. Okay. So we read Ruth's story, and we don't connect it to Judges, except right. for that sentence. If we don't didn't have that beginning telling us it was, we wouldn't place it there, but it does. Um we don't really know where it falls, um, mm-hmm. but we do know that there was a king in Moab that oppressed Israel for a long time, and he was killed by a different judge. Um, oh, yeah. we uh, we don't really know um, if there was a judge in place at the time of Ruth. Um, okay. and then there's the genealogy of where to place her because if Boaz was really Rahab's son, then how was Ruth David's great-grandmother based on all the years that spanned in between yeah. Rahab in Joshua's time and King David in, you know, First Samuel, or the yeah. middle of Samuel. So some commentaries would say, tell us that Jewish people um, condense their genealogies and so begat might be more like ancestor than father. Okay. But we the truth is, we don't know for sure. And right. I honestly like to look at it all, you know, as it is what it is. It is what it says. Because when the genealogies in the New Testament are listed, it's, it says there's 14 generations from here to here and from here to here. I mean, that, that's the book of Matthew. And mm-hmm. I tend to think God had a reason for saying it how he did, and mm-hmm. uh, someday he'll He'll let us
0: know, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, sin. we're exactly. on a need to know basis, kind exactly. of a thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I agree. All right, well, okay, so keeping in mind that we're trying to grapple with this overall story of scripture, um, how does Ruth's story move mankind toward that perfect, transparent, and loving garden relationship that we're? That, that our real God is trying to reestablish with mankind. How does Ruth's story do that?
1: Well, Ruth's story, like I think almost every story of scripture, is one of redemption. If you mm-hmm. People don't want to read the Old Testament sometimes because they don't see forgiveness and grace, but it's written on every page. Mm-hmm. And Ruth's story is a picture, it's, it's kind of the whole Ruth Boaz thing is a picture of what Jesus did for us. Um, when he came to fix what was broken in the garden. So throughout the whole of Scripture, God's been, like I said, wooing his people to come to him. And if you remember Rahab's story, the prostitute from Jericho, as I said in the Crimson Cord, The verse, I always look for verses for my books and Isaiah 118 represents her story so beautifully because it says, come, let us reason together, though your sins are like scarlet, the scarlet cord or the crimson cord, Mm. they shall be white as snow. Mm. And for Ruth, we read in Isaiah, fear not, I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. That's why I think redeeming grace is a perfect title, even though I didn't pick it. Um, But it says you are mine. And Ruth Mm -hmm. was a foreigner, and yet she became God's and and is in the lineage of Christ to this day. Mm -hmm. The whole of scripture is always, always about redemption, buying Mm -hmm. us back from sin. God's in the business of redeeming everything, even the very earth we walk on. He promises to make new. He came to restore, to heal, to bind up the wounds, to free the captives. And Ruth's story is a picture of keeping that commitment, however Mm -hmm. flawed it might have then because humans are not god but boaz shows a love like christ and ruth shows us a bride like christ is looking for oh, we're yeah. wanted god wants relationship with us and he won't be satisfied until that garden is restored
0: oh i love that oh i love that okay all right, now a harder question here it comes. how How does Deborah's story move us forward in that overall story of Scripture? So, okay, Ruth was a little bit maybe easier. Let's let's talk about Deborah's Go ahead. story. Ask me an easy question again. Okay. Oh, I know. Um, I haven't given you a single easy one, <laughs> no. have I? Ooh. No.
1: Well, um, hmm. that that was a hard question, but Deborah's story shows us. In my opinion, that God commands obedience, um, just like throughout Judges, when we don't Mm -hmm. get to have it, we just don't get to have it both ways. We can't have a loving God with also recognizing that he's also our judge. Mm -hmm. Deborah judged her people in the ways of the law that pointed them and us to the need for a Savior, and God sent Jesus, his Son, to be that Savior, but he's also our judge. And if we won't obey him and accept him as our Savior— then we will face him as judge. Yeah. The Bible's pretty clear on that.
0: Yeah. and you know, It's I a little just, scary. <laughs> it, it, you know, it can be. It, it sure can be. But here's, I, I, we just got done with a Bible study at our church on 1 Peter, and there is a perfect verse for that. It doesn't have to be scary, but yeah. it's a reverent fear. Here's this 1 Peter verse. It says, Since you call on a father who judges each, each person's work impartially... Live out your time as foreigners here on this earth in reverent fear for, you know, that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. I just, I love those Mm -hmm. verses because they show how our real God is both righteous judge and loving father. So yeah, Yeah. I, I, I love that. Yeah. So, all right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, friend, for no, chatting with me you're today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Hey. All right. So would you read for us the very last verse in Judges? I will. I've already
1: mentioned it a few times or made mention toward it, but it's okay. Judges twenty-one twenty-five, And it says, in those da- days, Israel had no king. Mm-hmm. Everyone did as they saw fit.
0: All right. In those days, Israel had no king. So, in our next podcast, we will be talking about Hannah. Hannah was the mother of Israel's last judge, and that is Samuel, and he ushered in Israel's first king. So, for that episode, Lindsay will be back. And since we will be so close to Christmas, we'll talk about some things that Hannah shared in common with Mary, the mother of Jesus. So, to be sure you don't miss a single episode of Real People, Real God, you can subscribe on iTunes, Android, or Stitcher, or listen on my Friday blog at www.misuandrews.com blog. The notes for each podcast are available on the blog on the date of the podcast. You can also post comments and questions on my blog site. You can post a question specifically for Jill if you'd like, and just indicate that by name and... Either one of us would love to reply. So thanks for joining us today. Come back next time. And remember, be real. Thanks for listening to Real People, Real God. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to give us a star rating on iTunes. We rely on real people to provide feedback and our real God to provide listeners.